0: This episode is brought to you by Haymakers Community Engagement Consultants. If you run a business or nonprofit working to make the world a better place, then visit WeMakeHay.com to see how haymakers can help. This episode is also sponsored by RuralOrganizing.org. RuralOrganizing.org has been equipping and empowering rural changemakers since 2012. Visit RuralOrganizing.org for more information.
1: We are uh, practitioners in the neighboring movement is what we like to say. And so <laughs> there is a neighboring movement happening all over North America. Um, it's just, it's people realizing that neighboring is a bipartisan way to come together and build community. And, and what the research that's kind of tagging along with that is finding is that neighboring actually impacts things like crime and elder care and um, health, general personal health and employment and all of these kind of uh, uh, social measures that we keep track of, just simple neighboring, good neighboring helps increase those things. In today's
0: episode, we speak with a group of United Methodist clergy in Wichita, Kansas, behind the band Brutal Bear and nonprofit Sochi Life. Adam and Ashley Barlow Thompson originally connected with Matt Johnson through their love of folk music, but later turned their community, generated through their group, into a nonprofit serving their neighborhood. The three see their work as part of the emerging neighboring movement, where community change is built on relationships of neighbors, one block at a time. During this conversation, we talk about faith, politics, and community change. I'm Matt Hildreth, and you're listening to Flyover Folk, exploring progressive rural arts, culture, and politics. I think uh, maybe before we begin, it, it might be just helpful to, um, for you all to go around and, and sure. introduce yourselves.
2: Okay. <clears throat> so my name is Matt Johnson, and I grew up in Indiana, uh, moved to Wichita, Kansas in 1996 as an undergraduate student. I'm a spiritual director. I work for our nonprofit, SociLife. Life. I'm a neighborhood animator, which means I'm out there meeting neighbors all the time. And also an adjunct professor at Friends University. And I play in this band called Brutal Bear.
1: And and Matt plays?
2: A guitar, trombone, melodica. And I sing.
1: That's right. And, and the kazoo. And the kazoo on one song. Yes. <laughs> yes. We haven't done it in a while, so it's I almost true. forgot. That's so, true. Yeah. Um, So I'm Adam Barlow Thompson, and I'm an ordained United Methodist pastor, but I no longer serve in a local church. I work with the nonprofit Sociolife that we've mentioned before, um, and mainly do fundraising and networking there. And then I also uh, do consulting and training on communication and conflict resolution, and that uh, helps fund part of my, my income. And then in the band, I play banjo and guitar and ukulele and harmonica and i sing as well so
3: i'm ashley prescott barlow thompson and i'm a united methodist clergy person too i'm from germantown wisconsin which started when i was real young as a rural um, part of wisconsin and then got swallowed up by the suburbs of milwaukee so it's a suburb now and um let's see i serve in a local church part-time working with kids And then I work for Soci Life and I work um, serving as a resource for a local college um, in their religion department. And I sing and play the melodica and play the tambourine timidly.
0: You mentioned how you're an animator in the neighborhood. Can you talk a little bit about how your faith animates the work that you're doing? What do you, as people of faith or clergy, bring to your work, and how does that impact the community that you're serving?
2: So I think I would start by saying that, for me, it's that realization that, for me, my faith is about a God who looks at me compassionately, mercifully, and as this kind of beautiful creation. And uh, that's not a message I heard a lot um, from my world or, you know, anywhere else. Like that's just a hard, unusual message to hear. So for me, that's the start of my faith. And then to do what we do is is actually about meeting neighbors and saying, I see that in them as well. And I don't always see that, like that's not always um, at my fingertips, but over and over again, that's what keeps me coming back to building relationships with people because I, I sense this original goodness that is deep within them that came before their, you know, whatever, original brokenness, if you want to call it that. Um, and that, for me, that's that's the faith element is recognizing mm-hmm. that God's planted something really beautiful inside of people. Maybe they've lost touch with it and forgotten it. And the invitation that we have that I have felt in my own life is is to help discover that in other people
1: and I think I think too it's about there's a joyfulness that comes from the, our music that carries over into our work with the nonprofit and so uh, like we just we play music because it's fun and and then that carried into we got to know our neighbors through music and it was fun and uh, like the the one of our songs the story is about our neighbors and how most of the people in our community look at our neighborhood and see the original brokenness that is there. And we got into the neighborhood and just started having fun with people and found all this original goodness and wanted to keep connecting based on those things. And that all felt in line with the like Jesus that we wanted to interact with in scripture and in church all along, but couldn't find because we were dealing with like the politics and kind of messiness that is the reality of church right now in our in our country.
2: This is the story of the drop-out drunk adopt, story of the outcast house didoga, story of the
0: That was a clip from the story written by my guests, Adam and Ashley Barlow Thompson and Matt Johnson, founders of the band Brutal Bear and also creators of the nonprofit Sochi Life.
3: Well, Methodism began with a guy named John Wesley who... um came into communities and neighborhoods and said, you know, we don't need to build more church buildings. We want people to live their faith life out by um, being with one another outside of church. And so he helped create these bands of people that would get together and talk about faith, hold each other accountable to living out their faith, but also share their lives, share their their um, possessions, share their resources together. Mm -hmm. And then they would go to church on Sunday as well. So it wasn't to leave church. It was to enhance the faith experience throughout the week. And what came out of that was a lot of social movements and people, when they got to know each other and really lived each other's lives together, they saw that there was need and that because they had had that compassion for the individual, they wanted to make a change socially for their friends' lives, for their children's lives, for that. And so that's kind of the DNA of Methodism. Today, we have a lot of, um, we have a social creed we live by that's all about caring for um, the people who are the outcasts, the immigrant, the poor, for children, for education, things like that. We're not there yet. We have lots of social justice issues that we argue over. And if you look up General Conference 2016, you'll see that that we're really struggling with um, rights for LGBTQ people. And we are slow moving sometimes as a denomination and within the DNA, I think of most United Methodist congregations and as a denomination as a whole, we have this innate understanding that our, our work is not only about holiness and connecting with God, but about being out and living out our faith in the everyday and therefore making a difference in the world.
1: I think too, like thinking, even like in so like thinking of rural communities, the Methodist Church is probably the most liberal church in most rural communities. First of all, there is a Methodist Church in almost every rural community. Yeah,
2: every single one. It's
1: yeah. crazy. They're everywhere, and and probably it's the only church where um, you're you're thinking about faith in a way that you can have a wide spectrum of of what you believe on the social issues that usually faith in form. And so not that everyone in the Methodist church is progressive in rural communities, but it's the one place where it's okay to be progressive and you're not going to be just immediately, you know, walked out the door. If you don't mind gay people or whatever, you know, name the issue.
0: I'm curious to hear a little bit more about social life and your work with that organization um, specifically, you know, around your theory of change. How, how do you guys make change happen in your community?
1: Okay, so SociLife is, we are uh, practitioners in the neighboring movement, is what we like to say, and so (laughs) there is a neighboring movement happening all over North America. Um, There's communities that are popping up in all sorts of different places, and it's just, it's people realizing that neighboring is a bipartisan way to come together and build community, and then What the research that's kind of tagging along with that is finding is that neighboring actually impacts things like crime and elder care and um, health, general personal health and employment and all of these kind of uh, uh, social measures that we keep track of just simple neighboring, good neighboring helps increase those things. And so we go back to, well, if neighboring is a movement, then it probably started with Jesus because Jesus was kind of pushing that right off the bat. You know, the practical piece of that for us is that we are trying to get a volunteer block connector on every block in our neighborhood. And that block connector is organizing people based on their giftedness and interest and common vision for the neighborhood. And so we're organizing people based on the good things and the positive parts that we bring to the neighborhood instead of um, uh, one community organizing approach would be focused on like a small issue and then fix that small issue and build from there. And so we'll often have people call and say, Hey, I know someone who lost a job. Can you set them up with um, some, you know, emergency funds, but we just simply don't do that. It's, it's a needs-based approach to uh, supporting a community. And there are other organizations who do that, that we reference and like call people and say, go refer them to those other organizations, but we only focus on the assets uh, which that whole asset-based community development model was um, started really with the the book Bowling Alone, um, which talks about social capital and how there's all there's a social infrastructure for every community, and the stronger that infrastructure is, the more togetherness, the more uh, strength that the whole community will have in all sorts of different facets. And then that got picked up by a guy named John McKnight. He wrote the book Abundant community and uh, kind of gave the uh, academic backbone to what what we're up to and then now that's being proliferated it's being spread throughout all of these different communities in different ways <laughs> that was a big it was a hard word, word. I could <laughs> yeah. just big pick a new one it's like easier I mean
2: who uses proliferating Pro- proliferated
1: proliferated <laughs>
2: it's spreading <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'd like to hear a little bit more about why you think change happens. So maybe we could go around and each of you could just give a few quick statements on why positive change happens, whether it's Mm. your community or any community.
3: I think the reason why positive change happens in community is when we get to know the people who live around us in our community, we start to empathize with them, understand that they're kind of really similar to us, regardless of who they voted for or what they do for a living or, you know, what um, what they do on Sunday mornings or, you know, they just have a lot. We all have a lot in common. And the more we empathize with each other, the more we're willing to um, help one another when suffering happens or when hardship happens. And so I think positive change starts to build on itself. We kind of like to say neighboring begets neighboring. Once I'm the receiver of, of good neighboring, once someone is, is a great neighbor to me, that catches within me that creates a a spark within me that says, Ooh, that felt really good to receive that. Or I want to be able to do that for others because it meant so much to me. And then when I go out and be a good neighbor myself and make positive change in my community, then I feel like I've made a difference and that I have meaning or that I have, um, have a way to uh, give back and make the world a better place. So I think it's both. And it's both looking outward at our neighbors or at people around us and empathizing, but also inwardly and saying, there's something good within me that I have to share too.
1: Um, Okay. So I'm just going to tell a story about that. So there's one of the first doors we ever knock on is this woman named Mary and Matt walks into the, to Mary's uh, home and one of the things we do all the time is we ask people when we go into their homes. So what are your hobbies? What are your interests? What's your, what's your vision for the neighborhood and what skills do you have that you'd like to share? And she lists off some hobbies that she likes to do. And then she stops and she's like, but honestly, I don't do any of those anymore because I'm just really addicted to crack. And we were like, Oh, okay. Like this is our moment. Are we going to see Mary as a need? Like many of the institutions that we that see her as a woman who's addicted, who's supporting herself through prostitution. Like she's, she's clearly a need. There's a big one there. Or do we push beyond that to look for the abundance that's, that's really there all along? And we start to interact with her and we start connecting her with places where she can share her giftedness. And she starts to realize that, man, I haven't been doing these hobbies in a long time. And it's like I wasn't a person before. And now I'm regaining what it means to just be a person. And so by using giftedness, she's able to reclaim her own humanity and her own dignity. And um, that's that that whole process, watching it, has been transformational. Well, later on, she's getting a knee surgery, and we're visiting her in the hospital. And the nurse walks in, oh. and she turns to the nurse, and she says... So what are your interests? What hobbies do you have? What interests do you want to share with other people? And we realized like this woman wants to share the same thing that we've offered her. She's now sharing with people in her life. And we just started to see the snowball effect of what it means to just honor people where they're at. It doesn't mean that any of those problems have magically just gone away, but honor them where they're at and find the abundance that's already there. And that's kind of been the focus of our work all along.
2: That's good um, <clears throat> so I'm thinking just the other I think the other piece that I would that from my own perspective of why positive change happens in community is because i I think we live with this really false uh, assumption in America that we are meant to be doing everything alone that that somehow independence and individualism is. highest freedom and i think the truth is that we were created to do things together and um i mean our band is a living example of that like i can't write songs alone um i need adam and ashley to help me with that and also um we we can't do positive things alone and i think i think any great movement that's going to unfold in the united states is going to be about just people it's it's not going to be about a particular person who's like this hero because we are so we've just been we've been overwhelmed with that false belief and so, so i think great change really comes when we acknowledge like you know what this is just better when we do it together and i don't i don't have to be independent and self-reliant all the time
3: can i add something to that so Matt and I served in the same church like seven years ago. And uh yeah, that's real. Six years ago, I don't know. But uh he had shared with me a desire to start a band. And the same day that he shared that, Adam had said, you know, I'd really like to be in a band like when I was in DC. Remember that sweet, sweet band he was in when you guys lived together? Anyway, George's
1: Aura. George's that's Aura.
3: Right. What what <laughs> Yeah. you know that one time they performed okay um <laughs> anyway they had this shared um passion and when they finally got together and I kind of joined in because I wanted to hang out too we were suddenly this band and we suddenly were writing songs together and playing gigs where like two people came and that was cool <laughs> but it was like beautiful because out of that not only came joy and fun and laughter and music, but it became living life together. And that's what really yeah. like planted the seed for us to become a community together, Matt and his wife and the two of us and Prescott along the way, mm-hmm. our son. Um, suddenly because we had this music and this band that we had chosen to do something in life together and make meaning together through our music, we wanted to live life together. And then through building community with one another, we really found the um, nudging to then build life with people in our neighborhood. And so it was just like quick, very, in a very fast situation, we went from being a band like playing in our basement, like right next to the cat litter. Who cares? It's like weird. What are we doing here (laughs) to like this nonprofit? And it really moved very fast when we all decided I'm better when I'm with other people. I'm better when I'm in community and I feel like I can make a difference when I'm relying on other people too.
1: It's, it's the difference of a, a gig where uh, there's like four of us up there having a great time and it doesn't matter that nobody's not paying attention or didn't come to the actual gig <laughs> versus like if there's just one dude up there by himself with a guitar playing alone. And there's nobody listening or like, that's like a lot sadder. Yeah. But when we're all having fun and nobody's paying attention, then it's like, at least not sad.
3: Well, and I would say like 90% (laughs) of our gigs are us have, front having fun and no one's paying attention. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. That's right. That's right. That's <laughs> Or they're so like, right. "Man, I wish that band would like just get a little quieter so I could talk to my friend." But I would I
1: would never do that by myself. So no. thanks guys. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Really,
1: I mean, like, thank you world.
3: You can you can really endure public shaming when you have community. When you have
1: community, you, no gig is below. <laughs> Yeah, no, I can't own the way things go, crashing down from the heights in the darkness of the night, Uh So
0: Flyover Folk. On this episode, we've been speaking with Adam and Ashley Barlow-Thompson and Matt Johnson of the band Brutal Bear and nonprofit Sochi Life. For more information about their work and this podcast, visit flyoverfolk.com.